Philip, thank you for a special prayer. And I was praying for you as you had to come at that time in the service to lead us in prayer. And I'm also, uh, as we think about the text today that speaks hope, words of assurance, hopeful words of assurance to us, um, we want to say how much we appreciate not only Amanda today, but Craig, Valerie, Katie, and Sarah Grace, um, families of clergy often see a lot of the back of the head of their parent and spouse as they're leaving to go to church or to do something on behalf of the church. And you sacrificed well, and um, Craig and Valerie and Sarah Grace are here, and Katie is in Atlanta. And uh, we thank you all, and we love you. And thank you for sharing Amanda with us. So let's give the Lord a hand for Amanda's family today. So thank you. Bless you. Our text is from 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Let's hear God's word to us today. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the, the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so we are encouraged today. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And God's people said, Amen. We don't need any more reminders that 2020 has been a tough year. Tough is an understatement, in fact. I'll leave the descriptors up to you. However, a common refrain through 2020 that I have heard has been, Pastor Bob, I don't know how people get through this without the Lord. It's hard enough as Christians. I hope 2020 is over really quick. I could not agree more. 2020 has been hard enough, even as Christians who have hope. And with that hope, we press on. We do not grieve like the rest of the world who has no hope. 
As resurrection people, we must always be prepared to give an answer to someone who asks for the reason, for the hope that we have. And we are to give them that answer with gentleness and respect, as Peter reminds us in chapter 3 of 1 Peter. For our hope is anchored in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, who said, because I live, so also you shall live. This is the unwavering message that the Apostle Paul lived and taught as he went about his ministry. One of the first, if not the first, letter that he wrote was that of 1 Thessalonians. Thessalonica was one of the cities in Macedonia, which was part of his second missionary journey. He spent a short time there after going through Philippi on his way to Achaia, the area of Greece. And he didn't stay as long as he would have liked. Thessalonica was a Gentile city, but there were pockets of Jews there. In fact, Paul taught in the synagogue for several weeks. The theme of his teaching was that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ the anointed one. And after Paul left Thessalonica, he continued on his ministry, and he left Timothy there to continue the work with the new converts. And later when Paul was in Corinth, Timothy arrived to bring Paul a report on how things were going at the church. Timothy gave an encouraging report, bringing good news about the believer's faith and love. I'm sure that was pleasing to Paul, but there were some questions that Paul needed to, needed to address. You see, the church was overly concerned about the second coming of the Lord. They were taught about the resurrection and about Jesus' next coming, but they were so overtaken with the next coming that they almost just stood there just waiting. Some of them actually quit their jobs just to wait on this imminent coming. They expected it any day, any moment. But this wasn't the goal of Paul's teaching. So he wrote to encourage them, to provide some words of assurance so that they would not live in anxiety and in fear. What Paul wrote in this little section of Chapter 4 is often read as a play-by-play -play description of the rapture. This is how it's going to happen. Some will be taken up and others, well, it's almost as if God had given the apostle an advanced copy of the day's order of events. And later, Paul reminds us that that day will come and it's not our, in our timing, it's in God's timing. But to read it in this way as a, an order of events misses Paul's real concern, and that is he, which he states early in the passage. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died so that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. After Jesus' ascension, angels had told those who witnessed the event that he would return. And most of his then disciples assumed that meant Jesus coming back soon. But years passed and some of the believing sisters and brothers had died. 
the surviving believers worried that the deceased would be excluded from the benefits of the Lord's return. Some may even had survivor's guilt about that. As well as the worry that they too would die before Christ came back and perhaps be excluded from eternity with Jesus. But as Paul writes here, they shouldn't grieve as others do who have no hope. He wants all who are followers of Jesus Christ to know that God's provision for the deceased believers in the future is an assurance of God's care for all believers in the present. That is resurrection hope, friends. The confident expectation that what God has promised in the future will come to pass this enables us who follow Jesus, who love God and follow Jesus now, to have a different attitude about death than those who don't follow him. We still grieve when a loved one dies. We do. We still feel gutted when a loved one must die alone, as so many have during the coronavirus pandemic. But we are not without hope for them or for ourselves. To further this point, the Apostle Paul reminds his readers that Jesus died and rose again. He gives them resurrection hope. And that they can count on the fact that when Jesus returns, that God will bring with him those who have died, those believers who have died. In other words, as God has done for Jesus, so will he do for those who die in Christ. He is writing, Paul is, as a pastor, with pastoral concern for his hearers, his readers. He wants them to remain confident in both that uh, what they and their friends and loved ones have been in Christ, that when they die, they would be reunited with Christ when he returned. So his words are hopeful words, words of reassurance, not just wishful thinking, but hopeful words grounded in the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. Hope is commonly used in the everyday vernacular as wishing for something. It's rooted in our desires. I hope that it will be sunny tomorrow. I hope we have ice cream for dessert. Biblical hope, by contrast, is rooted in God's love for us, which is quite different. Biblical hope presents us with the view of the beyond, a life beyond the end of this one. While we can't see that ourselves, we trust that God can. And thus we base our hope on this eternal perspective. This view enables us to count on the kingdom of God eventually coming in all its fullness and us having a place in it. Hope says to us, this is how you will understand it when this life is over and when the new one has begun. This view is of supreme importance to the life of faith because without it we have nothing to look forward to beyond whatever we can make of this world before it ends. As people of hope, we look at the growing edges. 
Howard Thurman, who was a mentor to Martin Luther King Jr., challenges us to find hope in the growing edges of the world around us. He writes, look well to the growing edge. All around us, worlds are dying and new worlds are being born. All around us, life is dying and life is being born. The fruit ripens on the tree. The roots are silently at work in the darkness of the earth against a time when there shall be new leaves, fresh blossoms, green fruit. Such is the growing edge. It is the extra breath from the exhausted lung. The one more thing to try when all else has failed. The upward reach of life when weariness closes in on the endeavor. This is the basis of hope, he writes, in moments of despair. An incentive to carry on where, when times are out of joint and men have lost their reason. The source of confidence when worlds crash and dreams whiten into ash. The birth of the child. Life's most dramatic answer to death. This is the growing edge incarnate. Look well, he writes, to the growing edges. And there is hope. Perhaps you heard the story of Mar uh, Marguerite Higgins, who was a news correspondent during the Korean War. One bitter winter's day, she began interviewing a muddy Marine as he had just returned from a lost battle. As he opened a tin can of sea rations and began eating, Higgins said to the young man, if I could give you anything in the world you wanted, what would you ask for? He thought for a moment and he said, give me tomorrow. Give me tomorrow. This is precisely what the Apostle Paul gives us in this message. No matter what losses we face or how hard the next year might be, let us not grieve as the rest of the world who has no hope. Let us continue to tell the next generation and the generation after that, as the psalmist has reminded us. As I was pondering the Marine's response when he said, give me tomorrow, I was reminded of that well-known hymn that we sing where it says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Bill and Gloria Gaither wrote that in 1971. I believe they were looking at the growing edges. When asked about the story behind that song, they write, 1971 was a year in midst of social upheaval, threats of war, betrayals of national and personal trust. It was into this world at such a time that we were bringing in our little baby. Assassinations, drug traffic, and war monopolized the headlines. And they write, it's in the midst of this uncertainty that the assurance of the Lordship of the risen Christ blew across our troubled minds like a cooling breeze blows along a parched desert. Holding our tiny son in our arms, we were able to write this hymn. Listen to the words. May the words help you find hope in the one who lives, the one who helps us to face our tomorrows no matter what they might bring. 
God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives. But sweeter still, the calm assurance this child can face uncertain days because he lives. And then one day I'll cross the river. I'll fight life's final war with pain. And then as death gives way to victory, I'll see the lights of glory and I'll know he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. When he met with his disciples the night that he was betrayed, he knew that he would not die forever. He knew that he would come back and that people would be able to tell the story about the resurrection. But that night, he knew that he needed to give his followers a way to remember him a way to remember what he had done. And to this very day, the church is no more unified than we gather around the Lord's table taking these elements. He took the bread and he blessed it and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples. And if you have your elements, we invite you to do just the same took that bread and he said, this is my body given for you. Take, eat, this do in remembrance of me. The body of Christ given for you. In the same way, Jesus took the cup and he blessed it and poured it out saying, this is my blood shed for you for the remission of your sins and the sins of many. As often as you meet, take and drink this do in remembrance 